The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. There's a lot of like, okay, well, you like Ska named three bands that aren't the boss tones. I'm your host, Aaron Carnes, music journalist and author of the book In Defense of Ska. And I'm your co-host, Adam Davis, veteran Ska musician from the bands Omnigon and Link 80. On our show, we aim to push back on the mainstream's negative perception of Ska music. There are so many great untold stories throughout the history of Ska. The show features interviews with everyone from the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones to Fishbone, Fall Out Boy singer Patrick Stump, and the police drummer Stuart Copeland. Join us on In Defense of Ska from the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. Hi, this is Howard Jones giving you the story behind the song here on Consequence. Welcome, listeners, to the story behind the song. I'm your host, Peter Chotty of Creative Media. UK-based singer-songwriter Howard Jones burst onto the synth-driven new wave scene in 1983 with his classic track, New Song, a song he wrote to be his debut and artist manifesto to the world. Jones, a one-man band who did it all with the help of his electronic friends, used New Song to lay it all out. In an era governed by fashion and attitude, Jones proclaimed, I don't want to be hip and cool. I don't want to play by the rules. In other words, Jones made it clear that he would do things his way, a way that worked beautifully. Jones ended up writing, recording, and releasing an endless string of some of the mid-80s most unforgettable, positive, feel-good, chart-topping hits, including Things Can Only Get Better, No One Is to Blame, What Is Love, and Life in One Day. These and others lived on in our zeitgeist for new generations to bop and countless films and series to feature, including Breaking Bad and Stranger Things. But it was New Song that started it all, and it is New Song that celebrates its 40th anniversary this year. So take a listen as we dive into the story behind the song with the great one-man new wave band, Howard Jones, who kicks off his 40th anniversary tour in the UK later this year. Obviously, you had an endless string of hits uh, in the 1980s, uh, beginning with New Song that was introduced at, in, in, released in 1983. But this, the hits from there, What is Love, Things Can Only Get Better, No One Is to Blame, beautiful song, Like to Get to Know You Well, which I was listening to just before we went on, Life in One Day, and on and on. And you know, these are songs that are just part of the cultural zeitgeist and continuing today. They've been in Breaking Bad in Stranger Things. So Howard, uh, congratulations on that endless string of hits and just great songs and great music. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was very, I was very fortunate to um, be obsessed with um, being on the radio. I always thought like being on the radio was, was the best thing because everyone can hear your music and they can be in the car, they can be working at home. And um, a lot of bands around my era sort of felt that it was uncool to be on the radio, but I that was my goal because I grew up listening to the radio. So all those songs that I heard 
meant so much to me. And so I was, you know, I'm so, I mean, they're still playing them today, which is amazing. I can't believe it that they've lasted this long. So that's great. Yeah. How does that feel, by the way, to have your song, you're celebrating your 40th year this year in the business. <laughs> And since you released yeah. your first song, new song. So how does that feel that 40 years later, could you have ever imagined at that time? Well, no, I mean, I think that when you, when you start out, you just don't know how it's going to go. I mean, with the first released new song, it was touch and go whether whether it was going to be a hit because it took so long to get up the chart. It came in like at about 96 in the chart and crept up a few places every week. And then finally got to number three. But at any moment, it, it, you know, I could have lost it and the whole story would have been would have been different. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I was just hanging on to, to trying to keep it all going, you know, in those early days. So now, 40 years later, it's great to uh, have a kind of perspective on it, you know, on um, on the on 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 the whole career and how important it is for me how you know how important it was for me to to be on the radio and to become as you said you know part part of the culture that you know maybe people don't even know that it's me but they know they know the song you know what I mean and I, that feels really good yeah yeah I mean these are songs that are so positive and upbeat and they just feel good. It's just a, it, and it's such a wonderful part of the 1980s, the music that came out of the eighties, that there was a lot of that. There was just a lot of fun and positivity that came out from it. And all these songs, you know, your songs really were defining tracks of that time. And so, yeah, it was, a, I think it was kind of a special time, but first Howard, can you just tell us a little bit about, how you got into music in the first place? Uh, well, you know, my, my parents both Welsh. They both spoke Welsh. Uh, and it's, it was a whole tradition of both of their, their families that music was involved in everything. You know, they, they both sang, uh, not professionally, but just everyone in Wales sings. <laughs> um, and uh, so they... Like from a very early age, when I was like two or three, I was expect you know it was normal for me to 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 sing a song when when relatives came round and and then when I got a bit older and I started learning the piano when I was seven, mm. you know it would there would always be a piano where when I visited relatives and and they would always want me to play for them and you know it's always been it was always a part of our of our family. I had three brothers and we formed a, a band together, you know, even though we didn't have proper instruments, you know, we, we, and we used to sing harmony and it's just always been like music has been integral to, to, to family life. And so that's where it comes from, I guess. And so what was your, from, from that growing up with your family and brothers and singing and, and just doing that as part of who you were, what was your first br big break that led you into recording into the studio well you know i mean this it was a long long journey yeah. um when i was at school i formed a band you know this is like equivalent of high school uh i formed a band uh there and we used to play it like school events and uh we played at a few youth clubs and things like that so that was the first that was the very first band and then uh then there was a series of of bands that I, I was in, I, I used to write all the songs and all the music for them. But, you know, uh, never really got any interest from 
publishers or, or, or record companies. I suppose, you know, I was a bit young then anyway. And then uh, I went to music college up in Manchester to study uh, classical piano. And, you know, I was in bands there. And I, I, I also played on the radio in, through the night from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. I used to do a song every 20 minutes. You know, I guess that's the graveyard spot, isn't it? You know, but for wait, all but the, wait, um, but, but wait, wait a second. How does that happen, though? That <laughs> you don't just you're t describing what you were doing, but all of a sudden you're on the radio. So how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it was just the band members that I was with. They 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 were doing a similar thing. They 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 got me in there. Yeah. Uh, and so in in the studio they had a piano, and they had recording devices, and they had a huge record library. So it was actually really good fun to to be there. Hardly anybody would have been listening at that time. But I used to do covers of Stevie Wonder tracks and did a piano version of Bohemian Rhapsody, which was took me like weeks to learn, but that was really good. And then I started to experiment in, uh, in the studio with the engineers there, doing recorded stuff and playing on top of that and bringing synthesizers in. And it, it was like playing all through the night and then going back to music college, you know, in the morning. I, mean, I didn't get any sleep or but, you know, that's what you do when you're young. I got fed up with playing classical music because I was writing my own stuff, you know, all the time. Um, so I left the college, went back to live with my parents and came up with this idea of a one-man electronic band, you know. And that's, that's when it really, things started to happen. I, I played local gigs, tiny little gigs in pubs and small music venues and built up a following developed my skill at using the electronics and everything. And then after doing that for about three, three years or so, finally one guy in a record company wanted to sign me. And fortunately that was with Warner Brothers and they yeah. were amazing. And so it all went from there, but it took me till I was 28 before I really had any success in my music. But I know if it had taken me longer, I would have kept going. I would have, it wouldn't have put me off. I only had plan A, I did not <laughs> want to do anything else. Uh, that's that's yeah. bold. That's yeah. very bold, but that's great. So let's go into the song. Let's get into the story behind New Song. Sure. Do you sure. remember, take us back to where you were when the idea of New Song first came to you and whether it was the music first, whether it was the lyrics first, just take us through that a little bit. I was telling you about the electronic one-man band that I'd been developing and in uh, my wife and I, Jan, we had this tiny little house in High Wycombe. And in, in the front room, there was a piano, a baby grand piano that I bought for like 50 quid or something. You know, it wasn't a very good one, but it was there. I had it, a thousand watt PA because that's what I used to take out to do the shows. And I had all my equipment set up there. And that's where all those early songs got, got written. And it was like experimenting and having fun with it all and working with the limitations of the of the gear at the time you know no computers it was all primitive sequencers and hand played uh, everything you know and in my experimentation this this song started to evolve and i just felt really really good about it i and i couldn't wait to sort of finish it and take it out you know because i was playing three or four gigs a week and i wanted to play in front of the fans who, who were brilliantly supporting me during that time um, it's, it's always music first with me. So, but I wanted this song to be my kind of manifesto, right? Of what I wanted to do with my work. So that's where the lyrics come from. It's kind of autobiographical. 
And so I took it out, finally sort of finished the song. I played it for the first time in this little pub called the Osborne Arms, tiny little place. And the audience went completely mad for it. The very first time I played it, and I thought, wow, this is great. I ended up playing it two or three times that night because people were just going crazy for it. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this is the one that turns the tables and, and gets it going. And, and that was what happened, really, yeah. So you were playing with on the piano and ultimately it led to the melody. And then mm. you wanted this to be your manifesto. So once yeah. you thought of that idea, how long did it take for you to, for the lyrics to pour out of you? Was this a lengthy process where you, over days, weeks, months, or how did that happen? No, it was, it was, everything was quick in those days, you know, because when, as a young person, you know, you don't get, <laughs> you know, you're not trying to compete for yourself. <laughs> so, so you just go with the flow of it, you know, and the lyrics just poured out really quickly. I mean, probably in one, in one or two days, it wasn't, all those ideas were, you know, were brewing in, in me about what I wanted to say, but it wasn't a laborious process for the for the songs, any of the songs to be written. That came much later in my career when, you know, I used, I, I, I would overthink everything and uh, try to, but the great thing about being young and carefree and fearless is that you, you just don't worry about it. You just let it pour out, you know, and I, and I think funny enough that as I've got older, I've tried to re rediscover that a bit more and not be overcritical about everything and let it flow. Well, I think it's great advice for a lot of people out there too, just in terms of trusting your instincts, I guess, right? To a certain yeah, extent. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, there's the, <laughs> there'll be plenty of time later in the career for you to have to reflect on everything because you start to be in a critical spotlight and people... Obviously, there's some people who really don't like what you do, and they and they'll tell you. <laughs> so, but in, in in those early days, you don't have to worry about that. You just go with it, go with the flow, and go with as you said, you know, with your instinct. Yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you about a couple of the lyrics because this is your manifesto. So this was something that was very yeah. per personal to to you. When you say, "Oh, oh, mm -hmm. don't be fooled by what you," and, and pardon me, but it's just uh, I have to try. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't be fooled by what you see. Don't be fooled by what you hear. What do you mean by that? And, and maybe, well, maybe yeah. you don't want me to ask you such a literal question, but it is a manifesto. So, no, no, right, no, that's a great question. It's a, uh, no, it, it's like I wanted to make songs that that encourage people to think about stuff. Because that's what I'm like, you know. I, I, and those and those lines in particular, you know, don't just accept everything that somebody says or, or tells you, or you see on TV, or you read here, or you read in a book, or you hear on the radio. Question it and go. Actually, you know, and not just blindly accept every story that that's that's being fed to you, you know. And I thought, I thought, you know, that's really important for me and. I thought that it was important for my audience to be encouraged with that as well and to be, you know, not afraid to ask questions and to question things. So, you know, that was a, that's a big theme of the song. And then I don't want to be hip and cool. I don't want to play mm -hmm. by the rules. No, no under the thumb of the cynical few or laying down by the yeah. doom crew. 
Yeah, well, I wasn't trying to be following any kind of fashion. I wanted to be it to be my fashion, you know, the way I presented myself, the way the way I did my music. I wasn't trying to fit in with a, with a scene. I was trying to be myself. And then not under the thumb of the cynical. So, you know, people, and, and I did get a lot of this, because the lyrics were so positive and not cynical, you know, I took a lot of criticism for that being in the UK, uh, you know, d during the 80s. But not to be worried about. Be yourself, be true to what you believe and, 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 and who you are and trust in that and be fearless with that, you know. So I felt that the fans that had gathered around me and were following me to all these shows around the UK, that they, they, they felt, you know, they were as, as attracted to what, what I was saying lyrically as they were to the music. So I wanted to represent that, you know, in that first song. Was there anybody at the time as an artist who gave you that strength or who you felt was in that same mindset of fearlessness yeah. and not just following fashion? Um, well, I mean, there's always been David Bowie, who I think is the most fantastic inspiration in that way. He was saying to us, you know, re be who you are. Don't be afraid. If you want to have spiky, multicolored hair or you want to wear crazy clothes, do it and don't be afraid, you know. And I think that's such a great message, really, because we're all so different and we should be celebrated for our, for, for our difference. And, and we don't have to fit into some grid whilst respecting everyone else. We can still be exactly who we are as well. And so, yeah, Bowie was definitely the biggest influence for me with that. Yeah. So you were talking about the first night that you brought your this song, new song, into the pub and how yeah. everybody was going crazy. They loved it. You played it a couple of times, maybe two to three times. Yeah. The, yeah. so the song and how it sounded then, the arrangement of it, how yeah. different was that than what we hear on the recording itself? You know, it's it's not that different. It's very, it's very similar to that very first iteration of it that I played at the pub. It's got quite an unusual structure to it. And the chorus is actually not not a vocal chorus. It's, it's actually a, a, a musical theme, you know, the that was sort of influenced by my classical training, really. It ended up being very much like that first night I played it. So your sound is quite distinctive and new mm. song coming out as your manifesto that poppy kind of beginning dun, 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 yeah, that yeah. yes was sequence, that yeah. was that was that na just natural to you or did you did you have the sound that you wanted to convey in your mind as you were writing it or is it something just tell me a little bit about how yeah. you came up with but your particular sound especially as a classically trained musician yeah, it was really, you know, I'd set up this idea to do a one-man show. And so the equipment that was available to us in those days uh, was was fairly limited, right? So, so the, the sequence that I had only had a limit of 12 notes, right? So I could only choose like a, a sort of repetitive sequence thing that that had 12 or less notes in it. So that's where that came from. Da, 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 da. That fitted under all the chord changes that I had in the song. And then I had a one keyboard that would do like arpeggios. Yeah. And I could send a trigger from, from one of the 
you know, uh, from, from the drum machine to, to, to trigger that. And so it was, it was very much like a combination of the limitations of the gear that, I, that, that was available to me at the time that sort of informed how the song was going to be. I played the bass with my left hand. I played the main tune with my right hand. And then there's the arpeggio going and then the little sequence and the drum machine, uh, which had two settings on it. So it was all, it was all, um, both things were so connected. The, the writing and the gear sort of informed how the song was going to end up. Yeah. Yeah. So this, you released the song at first in 83, then it found its way onto the, your first album, Humans Lib, that was released yeah. in 1984, actually. And that, that yeah. album had a number of tracks on it. So immediately, you said it, it was kind of a slow burn for a new song to rise up in the charts, but it did. Yeah. And then you had a number of other songs immediately. So how did that success change your life? Well, well, it, it completely changed my life. I mean, uh, from the point of view where I got on national TV here in the UK, you know, program called Top of the Pops, I'm sure mm -hmm. you've heard of it. Of course. Uh, came out every every Thursday night. I watched it religiously, you know, for years and years uh, as a child and always dreamed of being on there one day. And from the moment that I finally did get to be on there, everything changed overnight because suddenly everyone knew who I was because everyone watched Top the Pops. It was the days when they had an audience of like 17 million people. I mean, and so the whole country knew the song and knew who you were. So everywhere I went, I, I got, you know, uh, a lot of attention, you know, and I got chased down the street and it was, it was a massive change and quite difficult to handle really. I mean, on, on one hand, you're so pleased that anyone was paying any attention at all. And then suddenly the attention got extreme, but I had great people around me, all the people who had helped me with my gear and mix my sound and helped me, you know, move the gear around and set, set stuff up. Uh, they were all with me and, and they helped to keep my feet on the ground. And I'll always be grateful to them for that because those same people ended up with me when, when I did Madison Square Garden, you know, so they'd come with me from the very lowliest and lowliest of gigs to playing the garden in New York. And that I think was really, really important for me. Those people helped me keep my feet on the ground. Yeah, no, completely understand. So we're going to take a quick break with Howard Jones and we'll be right back with more of the story behind the song. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back with Howard Jones. So first of all, what's your favorite song that you've ever written and recorded? Well, I think the most, the most being, I mean, I, I, I stand by them all, you know, I don't let anything go out that I don't completely love myself personally and stand by. But the, the, the one that has, I guess, most meaning for me is, is, is a song on Humans Live. It's called Hide and Seek. It's the song I played at Live Aid. 
And it's a song uh, about hope, but it's a very gentle and it, it just has a sort of profound meaning for me personally and also for a lot of a lot of my fans. So um, yeah, I would if it was just what I had for had to choose one, it would be it would be that yeah, hide and seek. And to you, what's your crowning achieve achievement in your career to date? What are you most proud of? <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose you know. I mean, there's a few. I've never really thought about one moment, but playing playing Live Aid was pretty hard to beat, to be yeah. honest, because it was for the most amazing cause, and it saved tens of thousands of lives, and still is now to this day. That event is really um, helping people. It was the best thing that happened in the 80s. And the 80s, you know, was considered to be this decade of selfishness and pursuit of money and all that stuff. But Live Aid stands out from that whole decade as the opposite of that. It was, it was young people from this alternative culture, you know, pop and rock music that decided that they were going to help people on the other side of the planet. So to be part of that really, I think... It was, it's, it's got to be like up there as, I mean, it was the most amazing feeling to be on that stage and know that there was 2 billion people watching around the world. It's the first like global event in a way, uh, using the technology of the time. You know, the, the whole of the audience in Wembley joining in with me on that song, which I could have done lots of other songs, other hits that I'd had, but Hide and Seek was the one that really had the most meaning for that occasion for me. Like, you know, hope, you find it in everything. Because I think that was a very hopeful event. And yeah, so I think it, was, it would be hard to beat that as a sort of, a, as a career highlight. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good moment. <laughs> yeah. Wait, was yeah, that day, yeah. is the day really vivid to you? Or did was it a blur because it was so big and massive and... It, it, it's very vivid to me because I was so humped with adrenaline, you know, nervous energy that I think that when you, when you're in that state, all the memories get burnt into your brain forever. And I met David Bowie that day and had a conversation with him. And uh, I met Paul McCartney and Linda McCartney. And I got to see Queen do like the best performance of all time. Yeah, and, that's uh, not bad. Not and, bad. You know, <laughs> and and saw, uh, you know, met George Michael there, and uh, it, it was just full of incredible memories. I can sort of re relive it all, really. You know, yeah, remember it really well. You re-recorded "Things Can Only Get Better" in Simish, which is the fictional yeah. language spoken by characters in Electronic Arts's The Sims Two. <laughs> so, how did that happen? Well. It's probably not the sort of thing I would ever do, to be honest. But um, my great friend, Steve Schnur, who's the head of music at EA now, EA Games, he's, he's been a friend of mine right from the early days. He used to promote my records at radio. So I spent hours and hours with him. And we went on holiday together in Paris and with our partners and he's still a, a really great friend. So he, he asked me to do it. And of course I was mate, I'm going to do it. You know, yeah, it was, it was actually, it was, it was a lot of fun doing it. And of course, again, you know, you, you, you're reaching a, 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 another audience, a new audience when you do things like that. So it was, um, it was great fun to do. 
so if I, if we were listening to what you're listening to today and in the last several days, what music is on endless loop for you? I mean, this uh, <laughs> this might sound strict, but I just got this new Steinway piano, uh, and it's called a Spirio. It's the modern equivalent of a of a of a of a player piano, you know, with the with the rolls in them yeah. that you used to have in the old days. But this is an electronic system playing, you know, that works a, a real beautiful Steinway piano. So I have this library that comes with it of all the greatest pianists on the planet playing everything from jazz, classical, pop music. And so I've just been listening to that because I, I, I find it so educational to watch other players playing in my studio, my piano. I'm lear I, I learn so much and I'm always keen to learn and become better at, at what I do. And like the other night, I was listening to Art Tatum, who's regarded as one of the greatest jazz improvisers of all time. And, and he, was, he was blind from birth. And they had this old re recording of him in a film. And they've been able to convert that into, into the information to play my piano. So it was like I've got Art Tatum in my studio playing Please, and I'm watching him on the screen as well, and and so I, I kind of, <laughs> so that so the, so that's one side, and then the other side is that I, I've discovered this artist called um, sorry I'm I'm forgetting his name, but um, there's a band called Dirty Loops. They're a Swedish band, and uh, I I just love love what they do, and I just wish they'd make more records really, and it's kind of funky, jazzy great brass arrangements and um, things like that. So yeah, I've been, and I've been listening to John Oates because I'm going to do Daryl's house on, on the 25th of April, record it. So I've been listening to a lot of them. So yeah, so it's a mixture between my piano playing me stuff, <laughs> and also, you know, listening to Spotify and stuff. Yeah. When I think of electronics and your experimentation and all that, obviously you were a trained musician, but you also understood the new technology of the time and how to bring that to life. So you've, I'm sure, heard of ChatGPT, which is all the rage. Everybody's yeah. like obsessed with it. So I asked, I asked ChatGPT 20 of, this was what I asked the question, 20 of the most surprising things fans don't know about you, Howard Jones. And so this is going to be true or false because they seem quite incredible, actually. And if they're true, my mind will be truly blown. And if they're false, then chat GPT, more examples how they got it wrong. So I'll start with an easy one. Yeah. Um, chat GPT said, so this is true or false. You have designed your own line of synthesizers. No. It also said you are a pilot who has flown solo across the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. No. It says that you've worked with NASA and composed music for the International Space Station. No. It says that it's... Uh, <laughs> It says that you have run several marathons. No. Okay, ChatGPT. I'm. I kid you not. My question was: uh, twenty of the most surprising things fans don't know about musician Howard Jones. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. That's right. And it obviously, doesn't doesn't follow my social media because it would know that that all. You know, none of that's true. My my youngest son was visiting today, and he showed me uh, the latest thing uh, using AI, which was where you set 
you ask you ask the AI to create you an image of whatever it is in your in your mind, like Howard Jones playing synthesizers on the surface of Jupiter. Right. Right. And, and it was within a minute, it would come up with images of me doing that. And it was mind blowing. And, and I, I don't feel worried about that, that AI can do things like that, because it's just like, the only way that it can come up with these unique images is, is if you, in, in our imagination, we give it the information to be able to do that. So it's just like, like any new technology, there's going to be a downside to it. Like, one you've just showed getting all the answers wrong, but it'll probably get better at it. And then, and then there's the super creative side that can give you incredible ideas about art and uh, probably with music as well, because it will, we will get to the point where we will generate music, but then it will be about like, right, well, like this bit, like this bit, need to chop that into that. And then you, you create a new genre of music that is using that technology. So, I think we just got to be careful that always knowing that there's like, just like social media, there's a downside to it, but there's also a really positive side and that we always emphasize the positive side, but we don't dismiss it because it's got huge opportunity, you know, capabilities and uh, opportunities. Yeah. I mean, those are, there is so much debate understandably going on in the creative community. And I was speaking to one of the artists I interviewed, Alex Ebert, who's with Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zero is the song Home. And he's, he's a very philosophical person. He also does musical scores uh, and he's won a, a Grammy and I think a Golden Globe for some of his s- scoring. And he was talking about the fact that he was scoring a soundtrack for a new film but now you have artificial intelligence that is scoring as well. And so just when he feels like he's very confident in his craft, you have this competitive streak of this AI and we're still in the very early days. So, you know, the struggle between whether human creativity is going to be appreciated, which I got to believe, I have to believe as AI gets more and more. But so it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. Every new invention they will take nuclear energy, right? We can power our homes with this, but also we can make bombs with it. Yeah. You know, so every, so, and it will be exactly the same with any new technology. And it was like, when I first was using synthesizers and drum machines to create music, I, people were up in arms against that, you know, some people, you know, yeah. um, and they to ban me from the musicians union and incredible anti-reaction. But it's now become part of the way, you know, it's, it's aided a lot of people in, 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 in making music and, and opening up this huge, huge potential, you know, for, for, for making sounds and, and creating things that never would have been thought of before with conventional instruments. So it's just that we have to make sure that we use it for, for good. It's like anything. It will, it will be very interesting. And we should always be looking for that. How can this benefit people and make people's lives better, not focus on a few people who want to use it for, for negative reasons. Yeah. For you, you have your 40th anniversary tour that's kicking off later this year in October in the UK. Do you have any plans to be coming to the States? I, uh, we're still working on that. I mean, I will be, but whether it's this year or it'll flow on into next year, I'm not quite sure yet. I mean, the, the, 
the release of the first album was in 1984, so it, it naturally will flow into next year. If I, I may do a few dates during the summer, but it's probably more likely I'll do a more prolonged tour next year. But we, yeah, I, I'm just see how it goes. And your, mo <laughs> and your most recent album was last year's, so 2022, Dialogue. And yeah. do, you, do you have any new music that you're working on right now and, and plans to release a new album? Yeah, well, I've got, I, I, Dialogue was part of a series of four albums. Mm -hmm. So it was the third of, as you know, Engage, Transform, Dialogue. So the next one's called Global Citizen. And I'm just thinking, I'm starting to work on it now. Um, and it's not going to be an electronic record, I don't think. I think it's going to be very much song-based and piano, because I've got this new piano that is just a dream. I'm going to be basing it around around that. So it's going to be much more reflective, intimate record. That's what I'm thinking. Or maybe not. <laughs> you know, maybe that will be a separate thing. And I'll do a banging electronic record as well. I don't quite know at the moment. I do, everything's in flux. But there will be new music, though. I mean, I'm always doing new, new stuff, yeah. That's great. And then one, finally, one, one more question for you. What is on your bucket list that you haven't done yet? What is something that you must do? I'm so music orientated. It's every day is all about the music. And I've always wanted to play Sydney Opera House. Mm. <laughs> I, I haven't played that. I've, I've visited it and walked around it and I've been to Sydney and I've played gigs in Australia, but I've never played the Opera House. And I always wanted, always wanted to do that. And the other thing that would be incredible would, would be to write a song with Paul McCartney one day. Okay, so Sir Paul <laughs> and Sydney Opera House. I mean, that's a natural. Yeah. That is a natural. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I will. I think I, I, can, I can fulfill that one. I can do that one. I have no yeah. doubt you can fulfill both of those. No doubt about well, it. Well, the Paul one, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure because I'll be like a hundred and... 1006 in the queue. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, Howard re really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining me on the story behind the song and taking us through a new song. I love that song and, and all of the other tracks that you've done and, and continue to do. So it's, you're delightful. Uh, you've done a lot of really interesting things and we look forward to your new music, your upcoming tour, and hopefully you do come to the United States. It sounds like you will. And when you come to Southern California, I will definitely be there. So thanks again. Well, thank you, Peter. Thanks for the interview. We really enjoyed it. That was Howard Jones, who helped lead the 80s synth-pop new wave British invasion, sharing his story behind his debut manifesto, New Song. I'm your host, Peter Chotti. You can follow me on Twitter at pchotti, that's P as in Peter, C as in Cat, S like Sam, a like Apple, T like Tom, H like Harry, and Y like Yellow, and at creativemedia.biz. For more of the story behind the song, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in on the third Monday of every month for new episodes. And make sure you're following the Consequence Podcast Network to keep up to date with all our series at consequence.net forward slash consequence dash podcast dash network. And as always, thanks for listening to the story behind the song.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.